welcome to Gibraltar Stories. I'm Lindsay Weston and this is the sixth and final part of The Closed Frontier 50 Years On, a podcast mini-series about the closure of the border between Gibraltar and Spain. There was a positive aspect of this latest siege in that it presented challenges to the Gibraltarian, which I think the Gibraltarian rose over it with uh, flying colours. And we are today in a position where internationally we clearly punch above our weights in so many areas. Fifty years ago, on the 8th of June 1969, Spain's General Franco closed the frontier, the land border between Gibraltar and Spain. Families were split. Some faced the difficult choice of having to decide which side of the border to live on. Supply lines were cut, stopping anything from crossing from Spain, including food, medical oxygen and communion wine. Spanish workers were forced to leave their jobs in Gibraltar. Some even lost their businesses. That resulted in many of them having to move away from the area in search of employment elsewhere, as well as leaving a huge hole in the labour force here. Ferry services between the Rock and the Spanish port of Algeciras across the Bay of Gibraltar ceased to operate and telephone lines were cut off. The only way in and out of Gibraltar was by air or by sea. The main route was the Tangier-Gibraltar ferry. Well, I found myself on the beautiful daylight today On the Tangier-Gibraltar ferry Letting me here with so many things to say When the border gates were padlocked shut on that rainy night in the summer of 1969, no one knew just how long they would remain closed. Franco had hoped that the chokehold on Gibraltar would cause it to fall like a ripe fruit, leading it to be returned to Spanish rule. That didn't happen. Customs officer Henry Smart. He did not succeed, no. I mean, his inhabitants on the Spanish side suffered. As I say, 40,000 of them had to move away from La Línea. Why? Because they, 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 they couldn't make ends meet. They had no money, they had nothing. So, and most of them are still away from in France or Germany or whatever. That was life. So real, really, it was the fault of Franco initially. And a lot of supporters of Franco were, well, I'm sure they're still there, but you know, that was life. And then slowly, slowly, things changed and we, we, we're here, we succeeded. The restrictions and siege against Gibraltar had the opposite effect. David Bentata believes that if a policy of inclusion had been adopted by the Franco regime, things may have been very different today. If Franco had used the opposite, Gibraltar had a housing waiting list of 10 years at the time. Um, I think the scholarships, there are about four scholarships, six scholarships a year only from Gibraltar. We were quite deprived. We were a small town, gloomy, not too clean either. The town, I mean, that's okay. If Franco had done the opposite and said, look, um, anybody who wants to study in Spain, we will give them a full scholarship. They have to come to Salamanca or to Segovia or to Madrid, Barcelona. Those students would meet girls and boys in Spain marry them and it would all dissipate 
um, we, oh, I'm not going to live in Spain. No, no, but just a minute. I'm living in Gibraltar in a small flat. My mama, my dad, my two brothers, my wife and I and the Alsatian. There we go, you know. And suddenly, okay, 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 we'll live over in Spain, but it will not become Spanish. Gradually, we would have been absorbed into Spain. In two generations, we would have lost everything in Gibraltar. And I believe Britain would have been very happy to give us away. In many ways, the Gibraltarian identity was cemented during the closed frontier years. Local historian Tito Vallejo-Smith believes that Franco actually did the people of Gibraltar a favour. He did, and so did Hitler. <laughs> Hitler did it with uh, the evacuation, and that's when Gibraltar really started to, to, to identify itself as, 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 as not, I'm not going to say as a nation, <laughs> because we're not, uh, as a community. You know, the, 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 the Gibraltarian identity was born then, when these people came back, Gibraltar, was already more more modern, more open-minded, particularly the women. I mean, the women who had never been as far as San Roque are now in London, without some of them without speaking English or anything. To them, it was a big shock, eye-opener. They had to depend a lot on their kids who knew how to speak English. And when they came back, they came back with other ideas, you know. And that's when Gibraltar started to emancipate itself from many things, the, the, that colonial, that uh, uh, village attitude, that, that went, you know, went through the window. And the, the next step was this one, the, the, the closure of the border. That also made us uh, more identifiable. We, the world knew who we were. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it, it, in a way it's, it's helped us, yes, it helps. The years during the closure were a bittersweet time for many. There was the pain and difficulties of families being separated, but the community came together and formed much closer bonds with the tight restrictions of less than three square miles to live, work and play in. Eileen Gordon remembers them rather fondly. We became more Gibraltarian than ever. That was the... the I think we and also we sort of um, we developed uh, uh, things that we were not doing before and we were able to do a lot of women went out to work before when I got married I remember I got married and I left my job but now no people decided women decided they were going to carry on working so you got women working in all kinds of jobs which we didn't used to do before and um, Although at the time we were very insular because when we, you remember being closed in such a small place for such a number of years, and um, but then when when the uh, frontier opened again, everything changed again because people started to drift, and so the people were not as close before. You could rely on on a, on a playing a match for, for example, whatever game you like to play. You knew that you'd be able to do that on the weekend because your friends would all be here. But now, no, you couldn't rely on that. We, our friends, our group of friends, which we spent all these years together with the kids and so on, disintegrated practically because everybody went their own way. People bought houses, people were, you know, everything, in Spain, I mean, and everything changed. Being restricted to such a small area meant that entertainments had to be created at home. Sport became increasingly popular, as David Bentata remembers. Sport thrived. We had nowhere to go. So we had sports. I, I believe the, the, the hockey hockey won the B class of Europe at the time. I think it was the Rock Gunners. Or, well, anyway, but we did it. Sports thrived. Um, fashion thrived. We were like, like bursting out. We, we had a lot of energy and nowhere to, to take it. And of course, Thanks to all the insults that were given about us, it made us realize, hey, they're talking about there isn't us. There's the English people and there's us. We are no longer second-class citizens. We are the people that are being insulted. 
and we are very patriotic for two reasons. First, whatever is said of Britain, colonial Britain, Great Britain, all that, they were the best colonists ever. And also, you had Britain here and Spain, Franco dictatorship, guns, and all that. It's, it's no choice, is it? But we are, we, we are fervently British. Fervently British. Of course, it wasn't just social lives which were affected by the closure. New workers had to be sourced from elsewhere to fill the huge gap left by the Spanish workers who were unable to cross over each day from Spain to do their jobs. Manuel Perez was one of the volunteers who travelled to Morocco to recruit workers there. He believes the act of closing the frontier was a stimulus for social change. The closure of the frontier provided like a catalyst for a renewal for a um, a change to the status quo at the time. It it provided a uh, um, fortune place, shall we say, for um, ce- uh, for for cementing Gibraltarian identity. It led to the acquisition of um, more workers' rights the consciousness of uh, of uh, that workers had uh, rights and, and 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 power under a situation where um, the unemployment pool that uh, Spain had always uh, provided which had kept wages artificially low in Gibraltar was no longer there and therefore the workers for once had uh, to a certain extent the power of um, um, there being more demand for labour than supply. So therefore they, they could exercise, uh, get better wages and better conditions. So that started the thing off. It started a movement of changing the unions, um, of changing the political perspective, in a social revolution really in, in many ways. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think there was a positive aspect of this is the latest siege in that it it uh, presented challenges to the Gibraltarian, which I think it, uh, the Gibraltarian rose over it with uh, flying colours. And we are today in a position where internationally we clearly punch above our weights in so many areas where we have developed a, a, an economy despite the closure of uh, MOD bases and everything else. Uh, which was better than than it has ever been, and that uh, certainly in terms of the social aspect of our uh, our political uh, views, um, we look better. Uh, we look after people, shall we say, elderly people, uh, our health, and much better than we can see them being uh, dealt with in UK or. In, in many European uh, countries. One big change brought about by the closure was to see many married women returning to work. Henry Smart again. Another good thing which came out of it was the females. Females started working where they had not been working before. It was typical of us Gibraltarians, you know, that the man used to work and the woman used to stay at home. From that day, it's changed. And, and look around today... Most of the professionals in Jeep are females, you know. But so that in that aspect we succeeded. 
because girls started studying more and then they started going to universities and so on and so forth. So um, that was it, really. If, I mean, even today, we look around, you know, I think Gibraltar, hopefully, <laughs> will carry on after Brexit, but still, we have, we have succeeded. One of those women was Irma Casiaro. She was involved with the Housewives Association from the start and went out to work in the market when the workers could no longer come over from Spain. It changed our lives. It surely did. It, and it opened our eyes also. Because the women here, I suppose we had a comfortable life. No, husband were working very hard. The doctors been open. There were apprenticeships for the children to when they finished school. Not everybody was bright, but some of them, they were with their hands. So they studied uh, apprenticeship. And that was very good for Gibraltar also. The frontier didn't reopen until 1982, and that was only a partial reopening with restrictions for pedestrians. It came the year after a very special royal visit. In the summer of 1981, Prince Charles and his new bride, Princess Diana, made Gibraltar the first stop on their honeymoon. Many Gibraltarians believe his mother, the Queen's visit to the Rock in 1954 on her Commonwealth tour following her coronation was a catalyst for worsening tensions between Gibraltar and Spain, which ultimately led to the frontier closure. By choosing Gibraltar as the first stop to pick up the Royal Yacht Britannia, the British establishment was seen to be making a clear statement that Gibraltar was and would continue to be British. Dr Jennifer Ballantyne Pereira, director of the Gibraltar Garrison Library. When Prince Charles and, and Diana arrive for their honeymoon, oh well, this validates Gibraltar all the more. The Britannia, the Britannia had been in Gibraltar before, obviously for refitting and, and for, for other uh, purposes, but not with the Queen, no. But that the Britannia comes all the way into Gibraltar and is ready for Prince Charles and, and Princess Diana to fly in and then have this wonderful fanfare driving through Gibraltar Gibraltar festooned with, I'm sure you've seen the pictures, festooned with these, with bunting, red and white and blue and, and confetti everywhere. And they make their way to the Britannia and then the Britannia sails out and all the um, boat owners in Gibraltar, yachts, little small dinghies, anybody who was seaborne just went out and accompanied uh, Britannia on her way. It was really special. It was more than a spectacle, of course. You have a member of the royal family visiting Gibraltar in a very public way, in a very official way, since the Queen's visit in, in, in 1954. This is important because of its official. And so this is a, a very important demonstration of, of Britishness in Gibraltar and Gibraltar's importance to Britain. I think that's important. Prince Charles would not have visited with his wife, Diana, had there not been official endorsement for this. And so it was a sign. It was a symbolic way of asserting sovereignty over Gibraltar as well.
Towards the end of 1981, there were signs that something was afoot on the other side of the border. Tito Vallejo-Smith witnessed preparation work that was underway. I used to have my office where the, the queue collects today, where they make the queue that round about there. We had the British lines there. I used to work for DOE at the time. And before they opened the border, now we're going to the opening of the border because they opened it for pedestrians in 1982. But before that, we could see that the neutral ground, that neutral ground was all barren. There was nothing there. And we saw these big machines coming and leveling the floor and the ground. And, and, and we kept saying that something's, something's happening. Something is brewing up. Something, they're going to open the border. They're going to open the border. So gradually they started building things there. And I remember it was... Christmas Eve and we were having our Christmas party before we all dashed home for our Christmas holidays and the Spanish workers were still there you know hammering around and I said to one of my friends when you bet I stopped them working what they go, give me a bottle of whiskey <laughs> so I got a bottle of whiskey crept up to the fence and I called the first Spanish worker hey can you come over a minute yeah what, what's the matter I said, look you see all the crowd up there because we had like a, a, a terrace and they were all drinking and you see we're having a party because it's Christmas for heaven's sake what are you doing working Look, and I threw the bottle over the, over the fence. He went, you can celebrate with us. So he grabbed the bottle and off he went and spoke to somebody who was somewhere there. Maybe he was the foreman. Looked at me, did like that with his finger, called all the others, went into a hut, and that was it. He said, Look, I stopped the work. <laughs> and they all drank the, the bottle to our health, you know. And I actually stopped them working that day on the border. And little by little, we saw them raising the, the uh, duana, the customs, and everything as, as it is today. We actually, actually saw that. The photographers who, like ourselves here at GBC, are waiting very patiently for the moment to arrive. Donde esta la llave? Where is the key? And I think it's time that they started singing that because according to my watch, the time is now exactly 12 midnight. A cheer, a tremendous cheer, yes. From our side, it is quite amazing, the cheering, because the gates have now opened and the people, it's like an avalanche, an avalanche of people going across, the firecrackers blowing, a celebration after 13 years of being able to breathe, I might even say. I knew it was reopening, so I came into the frontier from this side here and... Uh, well, I took some pictures. Juan Carlos Teuma was working as a news cameraman for GBC Television on the night the frontier was closed, back in 1969. Thirteen years later, after living and working as a photographer in Spain, he returned on the 15th of December 1982 to see the gates reopen. David Bentata was also there on the night of the closure and was interviewed by a BBC reporter. If you listen to part one of this series, you will have heard him speaking about his experience back then. On the night the pedestrian gates were reopened, he also returned to the frontier and was interviewed again, this time by the Spanish press. The Spanish reporter stuck a tape recorder in front of me and I then, you know, uh, the anger had dissipated. We took it as as if we had won a victory because the frontier was opening and I suppose it was a victory of sorts we didn't know what, what would happen afterwards because it was open partially with a lot of, of um, restrictions uh, it was only opened for pedestrian traffic it only opened to vehicular traffic two years after that but it was a release it really was a release it made us focus again and live more universally I suppose let me cross 
the border I want to see my baby tonight When the border reopened, things changed, but not at once. There was an animosity against Spain, and many Gibraltarians took their time before they were happy to cross back over the frontier. Paula Galliano remembers it well. It was a different Gibraltar. It was a different Spain as well, but it was a different Gibraltar. Um, I know many of the young didn't want to have anything to do with Spain. You know, we, they'd, they'd grown up with a closed frontier. They didn't need Spain. They'd had a wonderful life here. Why should they go over to Spain now? Um, my teenage children didn't particularly want to go over. It, it You know, little by little, it crept in uh, and, and they started to go back. But it was... It was very different. For some people, the treatment meted out by the Franco government and its successors was something that couldn't be forgiven, says Sylvia Ballantyne. Once the frontier opened, we, we went back to what we were before. You know, there have been difficulties, as you know, and they still carry on. But, but yeah, we went, yeah. Eventually, some people didn't want to go, to go to Spain at all. I had friends who refused... To go, to go to Spain. They died and they never went to Spain. Gibraltar's Deputy Chief Minister Dr Joseph Garcia believes the impact felt by the Gibraltarian people during the years that the border was closed has been deep. I think it, it's, it created a generation of Gibraltarians, as I said, that, was, that had good reason to be extremely distrustful of Spain and of the Spanish government. And I think if you look at the vital events over our history, over our 300-year history, uh, living in Gibraltar and set, having settled in Gibraltar as a distinct community, I think that is one of the, our build, the building blocks of nationhood in our case. You, know, you live in a place where the historical events that happen have a deep impact and a deep community in creating that sense of community, that sense of identity and that sense of nationhood. I think the closure of the border was most definitely one of them. And do you think it could ever happen again in our lifetime? Well, it's interesting we're having this discussion at the same time as you're preparing to leave the European Union where border issues are particularly important. I think we're looking at two completely different scenarios. I think when Franco closed the border, he was a military dictator in power, in a dictatorship where people couldn't protest and where the views and feelings and lives of people didn't really matter. So Franco closed the border and people had to leave La Linea and go to the UK or to Germany or whatever for employment because they suddenly lost their jobs overnight and they could afford to do that. I think in a situation where Spain is now a democracy, it's more difficult to do that. You have trade unions and you have uh, chambers of commerce, political parties, so it makes it more difficult for them. And certainly the indications we have privately and publicly from the Spanish government is that the border is not going to close. But it has meant, I think, it has meant, you know, the scenario and what happened in the past has meant that we have spent a huge amount of time in contingency planning in this particular area for the movement of goods, 
and for the movement of people, a huge amount of time that the government of Gibraltar has devoted, despite the fact that we've been told that the border is not going to close, has been in the area of contingency planning. On the 5th of February 1985, more than 15 years after it was closed, the border was fully reopened to motor vehicles. GBC's David Hoare gave the commentary to television viewers at home. And it is 24 seconds past midnight, and somebody else has come up to try and have a go. Did they forget to oil it? The bolt is back, the lights are flashing, and the gates are open. An historic moment in the history of Gibraltar. The land frontier open now to all categories of citizens of the world. William Servity arrived back in Gibraltar on the eve of the closure after a period studying in the UK. He saw at first hand the impact the closure had on the workforce of Gibraltar as his family's business lost 180 Spanish employees overnight. When I spoke to him, he posed an intriguing scenario. There's a question that's not lost, I'm sure, amongst many Gibraltarians today. And that is the possibility that the frontier hadn't opened, which is very, very great. Because presumably the uh, idea of closing was by a government in Spain, not necessarily the head of state alone, which was military and reacted um, decisively and closed the frontier because it was able to act decisively and disregard the, for example, 5,000 people who lost their jobs when the frontier shut, the town of nearly 90,000, which was reduced to 50 over the years, and emigrated, many to UK because they had been in trades dealing in English and were able to go to UK. But when that government came to an end, that decisive, able-to-act government ended in 1976 and started negotiating with its previously exiled opposite numbers in the opposition, um, a new constitution for 78, the frontier didn't open. And it didn't open, and it didn't open for years and years and years. And it was scheduled to open in 82, and it didn't. It didn't open fully till 85. And it only opened in 85 because Spain was due to go into the European Union. If Spain had not chosen to go into the European Union, uh, we have to ask ourselves whether it wouldn't still be shut because the Democrats kept it shut for longer than, let's call them, the non-Democrats. That is a scary one. 
Um, it's linked in a way to the identity because I think that thought and the noises we hear from some sectors in politics in Spain, even today, you know, 40 years later, 80 years after the bad things happened in Spain, are still exactly the same. That we're a parachuted bunch of immigrants um, which has only been here as long as the United States and longer than most of the European populations of South America and Southern Africa. But we don't have a right. It's a pity that, in a way, that we are where we are. Because in the war that Spain lost Gibraltar and lost Gibraltar, it lost its own entire empire and was able to get over it. It hasn't been able to get over Gibraltar. It was many years after the reopening of the frontier when Eileen Gordon got to hear some of the Francoist propaganda which had been spread during the closed frontier years. She could hardly believe what she was hearing. My daughter lives in Barcelona. She's married there with a Catalan. And one year they had invi- I'd been there for the Feast of San Juan, in, which is the beginning of summer. And a friend of ours was having a big party and they invited me. And I went. And I remember her dad, the girl's dad, the friend's dad, he must have been over 90, I think. He was, he was a businessman, he was I mean, a well-educated man, not anyone, you know. And when I was introduced to him and he asked me, I said, I came from Gibraltar, he's very interested, and he started to check me up. But then he said, why did you close the frontier? And I said, what? And he said, uh, yes, Franco said, if they want to cross the frontier, they can stay there with the monkeys. And I was so furious because I said, how can you say that to me? When I have had to bring up my children in a close frontier situation, I've been through it myself. How can you tell me that? And I told him, well, that's a big lie they've told you. You know, I I wonder how many big lies they already said as well. And the man was a bit taken aback and very thoughtful, you know, and he kept on coming back to me and asking me questions. This is what they knew. This is what they've been told. This summer, commemorations have been held to mark the 50th anniversary of the closure on both sides of the frontier. Among the events was a large exhibition of photographs from the time held over in La Linea. And here in Gibraltar, the National Archive put on an exhibition of photographs, newspaper cuttings and an oral history documentary featuring some of the people who've also spoken to me. The actual frontier gates, which feature in the photograph I'm using for this series, were found in Spain and brought back here to Gibraltar. They now stand on display in the entrance to the John McIntosh Hall on Main Street for all to see. And that's where I'm recording this now. It seemed an appropriate place to be talking about them. There had been some negativity locally on social media about the anniversary being marked at all because of the pain and heartache it had caused. But Deputy Chief Minister Dr Joseph Garcia says it's important that this moment in time is remembered. We are not uh, celebrating it, we're simply commemorating And the, the reality is that it happened, we cannot get away with it, from, away from it. It is an important event, as I said, in the creation and the cementing of the Gibraltarian identity and therefore we have to commemorate it. We commemorated not that long ago 
the 75th anniversary of the evacuation, the wartime evacuation of the people of Gibraltar. It wasn't a pleasant event for those who went through it, but it needs to be commemorated, and we need to mark the event, and that is what we are doing with the closure of the border as well. Fine artist Ambrose Aviano had a role in the production of the Gibraltar National Archives exhibition and has worked on a piece of art himself to commemorate the anniversary. We have to commemorate events, that are life-changing events, like that was needs to be commem- uh, commemorated. Uh, we cannot forget. We might forgive, but we won't forget. And that is something that we have to keep in our minds of our children and our children's children, uh, because they formed us. This, this, this closure of the frontier from the national identity of the Gibraltarian, because you've got to remember Gibraltar was a mixture of races, that came to Gibraltar mainly for economic migrants. We are all migrants here because the original population of Gibraltar left, which was Spanish, and they now live in San Roque. That's why San Roque became. So we were all uh, economic migrants looking for a better life. Certainly my family was. And, And we were a diverse set of people. But the closure of the frontier threw us all together and mixed us up and we had to rely on each other and to have to be friendly to each other and to have to take care of each other because there was no help from anywhere except from the UK. So, And that, because it was such a life-changing event, needs to be uh, remembered and needs to be recognised. As an artist, I am making a work at the moment um, of an oyster. Uh, Do you know how a pearl is formed, yeah? Yes, a grain of sand. That's right, and the oyster throws this uh, liquid onto it to heal that pain and eventually becomes a pearl, which is a beautiful thing and it's priceless. Well, I have made an oyster and I put Gibraltar inside. And that is in essence how the identity of Gibraltar was formed, by controversy. Jackie Vila is a playwright and is currently working on a theatrical production based around the events of 50 years ago. It will be staged in Gibraltar in the near future by the White Light Theatre Company. History always has a value of, you know, you, you, first of all, I think it's important that our youth um, know about what formed us and what made us who we are. Um, and it's been 50 years, so it kind of gets lost or gets fussy or out of focus. Um, I think there's a, there's, it's important to tell the story um, so that there's an understanding. I think it's important as youth to be informed. Um, and not just the youth. I think it's important for, for people who went through it to, to remember and to be able to share those stories again. And be able to, because we want our theatre to, to not just be informative, but we want it to be educational. And we want it to evoke conversations. We want grandparents talking to their children and grandchildren about what it was like, so that there's a deeper understanding of what the Gibraltarians went through. In principle, that's our aim. We want to generate discussion. Um, I think it was an important time, and a lot of people view it as a nostalgic time. But for some people, there's no sense of nostalgia interestingly. So we hope to explore that um, and present different accounts of the same situation. Some people quite enjoyed having the frontier closed, others didn't. And then the whole family tie and then exploring other parts of the world because the frontier was closed. 
and they would never have done that if the frontier had been open. So I think it's more, uh, let's explore the what-ifs as well. I think that's what we, we aim to do. And so this series comes to an end. It's been over a year in the making from the first germ of an idea through to the launch of the Gibraltar Stories podcast in January and this Frontier Closure series which started five weeks ago. I couldn't have done it without the help and support of so many people, from my family through to the many people who've agreed to spend their time so willingly to tell me their stories. Thank you to you all. My sincere thanks to everyone who contributed to this episode. A full list of all the contributors can be found in the show notes for this episode at gibraltarstories.com. My thanks also to the Gibraltar National Archivist Anthony Pitaluga for all of his help and for letting me use the photograph of the frontier gates to illustrate the series, especially as he was very busy working on the National Archives closure exhibition himself at the same time. My thanks also to Philip Valverde, whose performance of Going South and Let Me Cross the Border feature in this episode. Both songs were performed by him and written by him and his brother Frank Valverde. I must also thank GBC for allowing me to use the commentary from their archive news footage in this series. If you've enjoyed listening to this or any of the other Gibraltar Stories episodes, please share them with your friends. You can subscribe to Gibraltar Stories for free on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. And you can also follow Gibraltar Stories on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. That way you won't miss out on the next episode. Gibraltar Stories is taking a break over the summer, but it'll be returning in autumn with more fascinating stories about Gibraltar, this tiny and very special place. Until then, goodbye for now and thank you very much for listening. Gibraltar, my Gibraltar Keep your face clean from the north side of the border my Gibraltar, my Gibraltar Keep your nose clean from the north side of the border